Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. I'm your host, David, and in a little bit, we will be joined by retired LAPD detective Tom Marchetti. First of all, thank you to the 405 Media for hosting this show. You can go to the 405 Media and listen to the League of Extraordinary Podcasters, the405media.com. Because... Um, Tom is is going to talk about some some policies, some things that are happening on the the ground right now in his state of Texas. Uh, he did work for 26 years in California, and we're also going to um, have a, a discussion on where some different uh, legacy pieces of legislation fit into the discussion of what is a sanctuary. City And actually, it's going to come down, folks, to there's one technical difference between a sanctuary city and what is not a sanctuary city. And it's much simpler than what any of us think. So we're going to have that discussion with Tom. But before Tom uh, joins the show, um, let's talk about the purpose of today's show. And then also, I'm going to describe some of the terms that we're going to be using in today's show. Um, first of all, the purpose is, you know, there's much misunderstanding of the expectations upon local police officers specific to locating illegal immigrants, retaining them, and handing them over to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. So when we hear about ICE, uh, we are witnessing cities refusing to follow state-level mandates as well as states refusing to follow federal-level mandates which have been on the books since 1996. We'll learn about that with Tom. Um, So not following these mandates relative to illegal immigrants and illegal immigrants that have committed crimes. Uh, This show isn't to take a position for or against sanctuary cities, uh, but rather to peel away conflated terminology and confusing rhetoric. Remember, rhetoric, the purpose of rhetoric is to steer your perception in a specific direction. So, so that's rhetoric. Um, the no more than uh, five six nights ago, um, hashtag Sanctuary City was trending on Twitter, and I went in and looked at maybe 200, 250 of the different posts that were being made on Twitter under Sanctuary City. And easily half of those, completely rhetoric. Like, we don't want everybody in our in our city to be deported. We don't want police knocking on door-to-door of trying to find illegal immigrants. And, and Tom is going to bring some light to um, what really is going to happen um, if cities do not have sanctuary status um, and, and it's much different than, than what the perception is or the rhetoric is um, right now. So it's very important to bring a level of information uh, to contribute to the scholarly discussion on this. You're, you're not the average listener uh, here for the Safety Doc Show, and I appreciate that. Um, you want empirical information, and, and that's, that's what we're going to be doing today. This is a very complex topic. Um, actually, Tom and I have, have talked several times on the phone. We've, we've taken documents back and forth together. Um, I've done additional research specific to the Patriot Act and how it, it relates to this issue and actually how it doesn't relate to this issue. And Tom has, has um, gone back and, and taken a look at um, a deportation case to Cuba, which was the first one in 30 years. So we actually kind of prepared for this, and then we got to one point when we were about to, to – to do this, I mean, it would have been it would have been podcast twenty five, and it'll be podcast twenty six. But um, there were things developing. Uh, California, there was a judge just put an injunction in place on sanctuary cities. 
And there was a vote that was going to happen in Texas regarding sanctuary cities, um, just a lot of things that were in development. So we basically all we, we decided to hold off. And, and as I looked at this, and, and Tom and I were having discussions, I said, you know, I I want to come a little more prepared to this discussion, understanding what a what the possible role of the Patriot Act could be in this, because I don't hear that discussion, um, just so I can be a little bit informed. And also um, the fact that we do have that deportation, which occurred to Cuba the first time in 30 years of a criminal alien, um, to get some more background information on that. So, uh, what, I, I, folks, I really want to pride myself on bringing you content, and, and I'm just gonna, I'm just holding up for those of you who are watching the the YouTube version of this. Um, I actually have six pages of notes that I put together for this, um, and and probably a few hours at least with Tom on the phone, and if not, uh, going back and forth. In addition to that, with email. Um, because I want to be prepared. I want to provide you with with rhetoric-free, empirical information to help inform you on, on this very complex um, topic, which, which uh, brings forward a lot of anxiety. If you were to watch the mainstream media on this, what I'm going to tell you, what Tom will share tonight, is going to be different than the mainstream media. And hopefully it's going to um, lessen your anxiety and give you an informed opinion um, an informed scholarly base to have discussions about this with others. Um, so a- a- anyway, we, we talk about, um, you know, we're going to talk about sanctuary cities um, and, and really what, what is happening with this cooperation or, or not cooperating with ICE? Why is that happening? Um, and, and, and work through that a little bit. So uh, my guest, uh, Tom Marchetti, is a retired Los Angeles police detective in his detective career. He's a fan of the Anaheim Angels and USC Trojans, currently working on property tax reform in Texas and passage of Texas Senate Bill 2, which will address the yearly growth rate in property taxes. You can find him on Twitter at RyanExpress77, the the numeral 77. And and I'll put that um, in the narrative that goes along with this. Some key terms. What is a sanctuary city? So in the United States and Canada, a sanctuary city is a city that limits its cooperation with the national government in order to help people who are in the country illegally avoid deportation. Such people are frequently described as illegal immigrants or undocumented immigrants. Actually, Tom's going to um, expand on that definition Um of of what's a sanctuary city and, and I think give it a little bit of a, a little bit of a different angle um on that because that's a very very literal interpretation of sanctuary city and Tom again Tom is going to get into basically a 30 second phone call to ICE uh 2 hours um before a criminal alien is is released as being the distinguishing point on what is a sanctuary city and what is not. But I'll let Tom talk about that. So what is ICE? All right. Um, ICE is the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It's uh, is an uh, American federal law enforcement agency under the United States Department of Homeland Security, the DHS. It's responsible for identifying, investigating, and dismantling vulnerabilities regarding the nation's border, economic transportation, and infrastructure security. So we're going to be talking about sanctuary cities, and we're going to be talking about ICE. You're going to hear Tom talk a lot about ICE, ICE agents. Again, those are federal-level law enforcement agents having to do with homeland security. Um, a couple people we need to to talk about and, and their positions because again this is germane to the topic. Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions. So at the time of this show, Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General of the United States. That position, the United States Attorney General, or also known as the AG, is the head of the United States Department of Justice, concerned with legal affairs and is the chief law enforcement officer and chief lawyer of the United States government. So we will have some discussions where um, lawyers will will invoke injunctions, um, which then go against the AG and how that kind of plays out and some precedents in that, and then also some perspectives on Tom, uh, from Tom, on on, um, some upcoming probably uh, court 
court uh, uh, battles, I guess, which are going to um, dictate whether injunctions stand or whether or not uh, you know Jeff Sessions and the and the AG uh, position are able to um, have the I, I guess the the authority position um, as far as mandating what happens with sanctuary cities and immigration, uh, illegal immigration, and also um, criminal aliens. So Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, Rex Wayne Tillerson, United States Secretary of State. So Secretary of State is appointed by the President with the advice and consent of the Senate. He is the President's Chief Foreign Affairs Officer. The Secretary carries out the President's foreign policies through the State Department and the Foreign Service of the United States. This will be important when Tom talks about visas to other countries and basically immigration um, um, and, and visiting um, other countries, having um, residents from other countries come to the United States. One aspect of manipulation into having countries uh, repatriate their criminal aliens, because right now about, uh, and, and I'll talk about this more um, with Tom, but but there are th- at least 30 countries that are that are documented, and there's actually probably more is from my, my studies, um, which will not take back their criminals. So if, if a citizen of their country comes to the United States, commits a crime, they will not take that person back. Um, so there are ways that the Secretary of State is now um, flexing uh, some muscles and, and using some different means to get those countries to take back, and that can be the limiting of visas, um, also can can have some influence on, on funding, um, can actually give a stipend if, if you're taking somebody back. That might sound a little bit ridiculous, but think about it. If you do have um, a, a, a very dangerous criminal and, and that country will take that cr- criminal back and you're giving that, uh, that, that criminal is going back plus $20,000, well, how much does it cost to have that criminal in the United States incarcerated or um, in the legal system and, and all of that? Well, $20,000 is much less. Um, and and some of the other means which which you know Tom will talk about, but we're starting to see some of the political exercise come out of the United States Secretary of State um, on options to um, pressure pressure countries to uh, repatriate their their criminal aliens and and take them back and then make a decision to incarcerate them, um, you know, in in that country or to do whatever. Um, so those are two positions we're going to talk about. The AG, which is there to enforce the laws of the United States, and then um, the United States Secretary of State, which is going to have a huge role in deporting criminal aliens. Some interesting things Tom's going to share, because you can't keep a criminal alien in ICE custody uh, for a very long time uh, before they need to be released uh, largely back on the street if they're not deported. I was under the impression that the Patriot Act uh, had a lot more power, a lot more influence on uh, deporting criminal aliens, and it actually doesn't. Okay, so I, I, I researched this. You know, Tom and I talked about this. Um, he's he's not as versed, and actually, I have n- I have not found anybody extremely versed in the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act does have ten section it ten sections. It has grown significantly since um, it was put in place following the September 11th attacks. So let me just read this: The USA Patriot Act is an act of Congress that was signed into law by President George W. Bush on October 26, 2001, again following the September 11, 2001 attacks. With its ten-letter abbreviation USA Patriot, expanded the full title. I didn't. I didn't even know this. It, it was. It was. That was an abbreviation. United and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism act of 2001. Wow. 
I didn't know that, okay? So USA Patriot actually is an acronym. Um, it was reauthorized uh, through 2019. Now, some, I mean, this is very lengthy, and I, I'm not a scholar on this, and, and, and I've had, you know, I've, I've, I've talked with Dylan Allman in the, in the past who has, you know, a, a higher level expertise on this, but, but still, you know, Tom and I are, unless you really, really know this well, I mean, I'm giving you a cursory knowledge on this, but um, it has 10 parts. It's very lengthy. Some parts have expired. Other parts have been added in. Uh, But the the Patriot Act doesn't help out much with domestic terrorism relative to criminal aliens. So it is very difficult to have a criminal alien identified as a domestic terrorist through the means of the Patriot Act. What the Patriot Act does, it, it does a great, the Patriot Act does a, does a great job of cutting the red tape so agencies can communicate with each other. Uh, interagency communication, sharing of information. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't help to identify and put the label on um, as a criminal alien. It, it, it just doesn't do that. So let me, let me read through this. Um, the Patriot Act doesn't help out much with domestic terrorism relative to criminals. The first of these perceptions is reflected by the USA Patriot Act's failure to recognize that law, inf- that, or excuse me, that enforcement of existing immigration laws is just as important in the war on terrorism as better foreign intelligence and more diligent prosecution of those with terrorist ties, and its failure to hold the Immigration and Naturalization Service, INS, which has been renamed, uh, accountable for such enforcement. So basically it's saying, you know what, we have the Patriot Act, but the Patriot Act really needs to jump in and to make sure that the INS is doing doing their job um, of immigration and, and naturalization service, that they're, they're doing their job, they're prosecuting, um, and, and that's where this, this needs to start, in, in some oversight into INS. So it's saying it lacks right there. All right. The second perception is reflected throughout the immigration-related portions of the act. Rather than requiring immediate action by the INS and the State Department, many provisions simply require studies of potential future actions instead of demanding that INS immediately implement certain programs enacted by Congress in 1996. Tom will talk about this. Um, in 1996 was was um, the the mandate for. Um, law enforcement to contact ICE um, when they're um, when they were detaining a criminal um, alien, and and that largely was wasn't enforced, uh, and it just hasn't been enforced until recently. So, um, so so very fascinating on on those two regards. And then I'm I'm just going to break it down here real real quick. Um, so, uh, I, the Patriot Act is is. Is is sidelined, you know, for criminal alien deportation considerations due to a, due to a very narrow definition of of uh, of a domestic terrorist. So, it is saying um, a domestic domestic terrorism. Um, so let's let's look at this. So Section 802 of the the Patriot Act definition of domestic terrorism is extremely narrow. Indeed, it is much narrower than the pre-existing definition of international terrorism. Individuals and groups would be eligible for surveillance under the definition only if they engage in criminal wrongdoing that could result in death. That's it. Could result in death. This is so uh, because the definition of domestic terrorism is limited to conduct that. Um, one violates federal and state criminal law, and two is dangerous to human life. Okay, so let's think about that. Could result in death. Okay, that's a subjective um, position. So that's subjective. Um, uh, number two is dangerous to human life. Well, what does the word dangerous mean? You know, again, we have another subjective term. So you are putting law enforcement to be try to understand the intent of this trying to use discretion um you know what is interrogatory liability so so really it this doesn't help at all identifying a domestic terrorist it's basically saying you know you make that call locally and we'll tell you if you made the call wrong and by the way if you're wrong you know you might get sued or something like that so people aren't getting into this it just doesn't help these are not objective terms so um 
In addition, law enforcement would have to show that the conduct appears to have been committed with a specific terrorism-related intent and that the conduct occurred primarily in the U.S. Okay, relate uh, specific terrorism-related intent. Again, subjective. How, how, how are you going to show that? Okay, so again, you are... You're looking at the Patriot Act, and, and this I think is helpful because you know I'm not going to get into this then with Tom. I'm going to save us some time, but um, we we have some significant issues with the Patriot Act when it comes to illegal aliens, um, as far as committing criminal acts and deportation, because because um, you know there is so much subjective nature that's in, that's involved with that. Um, no one's going to touch it with a ten foot pole. I mean, let's be honest. And the reason you write things subjective like that is to push it down to local control, push it down to the officer that is out in the field having to make that call. So, um, as much as the sharing of information happens through the through the Patriot Act and, and how that's been streamlined, it's like you have this information. Um, and that, I mean, that's helpful, but as far as trying to identify someone who is a criminal um, immigrant uh, as a domestic terrorist is, is almost impossible under the Patriot Act. I'm glad to welcome Tom to the show. And, you know, before I mentioned Tom had 36 years as an LAPD detective, actually 26 years, uh, but still an incredible contribution to the state of California. And Tom is going to talk right now uh, about his productive work at LAPD 77th Division dealing with already arrested criminal aliens and working with ICE. So, Tom, please tell us about those experiences. And, and you know, you, you had some terrific successes in this area. Tell us about those. Yeah, we've had, uh, Dave, thanks for having me on um, today. Uh, we had some great success in 77th. Uh, we kind of stumbled along the entire uh, ICE detainer um, process. Somewhere around 2005, 2006, we had a, uh, a young lady that was uh, committing identity theft all over um, 77th and Southeast and Southwest divisions of LAPD. She was um, going into car dealerships and buying cars with other people's social uh, security numbers basically called a uh, fraudulent application, credit application. Um, the interesting thing is she had, each time she would use um, an El Salvadorian passport, um, you know, with her name and, and um, info on it. So we were able to, to get copies from the dealership of that passport used, and we contacted um, Homeland Security ICE to see if there was any information when this woman entered the country. You know, does she have a current address here in Los Angeles? And the ICE agents uh, received the information, looked into it, and said, hey, we have no record of this woman ever uh, entering the United States. So she's an illegal alien. said, hey, once you guys hook this woman up, uh, give us a call. And, um, you know, as long as she's been booked and for a crime and has a booking number, we'll send you uh, an ICE detainer. And I said, what the heck is an ICE detainer? Sure. He said, <laughs> he said basically, it's going to function as like a parole hole. Um, you know, once, uh, once, on, once you get the detainer, the, uh, the individual obviously has to go through the, the criminal court proceeding first and do, um, jail time in the county jail and the state prison system. But once that individual is ready to be, to release back into the streets, back into the community, instead of that happening, um, the uh, jail or um, prison personnel would call ICE and say, hey, you're, you're body, we're ready to release this body. Come down and, and pick them up. And ICE would pick up that individual and then uh, deport them out of the United States. So the great idea was, hey, uh, when this person gets out of jail, they get out of the United States. And I thought, wow, we, you know, we arrest so many foreign nationals down here in 77th Division for crimes. Now we can use this thing all the time, getting ICE detainers. You know, this could be, uh, you know, a version of our state parole. We just simply call an 800 number uh, with uh, the arrestee's booking number, and, you know, shortly afterwards we would get a parole hold. Ultimately, it didn't work out that that, that easily, that simply, uh, uh, simple as that. 
Um, but we were able to set up a system where, where daily, not only would I um, uh, have a screen all the uh, arrestees to find out which ones were born, admittedly uh, born outside the United States, I would turn that stuff over to ICE. They would do their checks and decide which ones they wanted. They would send whole, uh, holds on the individuals that they had information on. Um, others, they would come down and do a, an interview and then make the determination there if uh, what the status was. Eventually, somewhere around 2008, Secure Communities went online. So a lot of the individuals that got arrested um, once uh, their prints were, were submitted to ICE or submitted to the federal government, ICE was able to cross-check them to see if they were in their database and then they would be able to make a decision, hey, let's put a hold on them, and then they just zip the hold right down to the 77 jail. There was, there was very little contact from officers. So, so, Tom, you were telling me that it was between 2006, 2007, and then all the way up until 2013, 2014, you judged you were experiencing the most success in... Um, having criminal aliens turned over to ICE and keeping the streets of L.A. safe. But then something happened regarding an Oregon Circuit Court hearing, something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, can, can you tell us more about that? Sure, sure. Basically, we were uh, rocking and rolling, getting uh, detainers left and right on uh, four nationals committing crimes in 77th Division. What Ultimately, uh, happened was there was a um, a federal district uh, court in the state of Oregon, and they came out with a decision that said, um, "Well, let me, let me back up. Let me just explain, and then your audience is going to understand this a little bit better." Uh, uh, the ICE detainer says, "Hey, when this person's ready to to get kicked." Uh, kicked out or not, uh, released back into the community is the proper term. Um, there's a, a, the form says, hey, give us a call and allow us 48 hours to come pick up uh, the alien. So say the guy went to prison for 16 months for Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Um, the the uh, state prison um, jail there would hold the individual an extra two days after his sentence was completed for ICE to come pick him up. That's what the court had a problem with. They said, hey, this guy's already done with his criminal um, his criminal sentencing. Right. He's finished his crime, and now you guys are sending a hold, making him stay an additional two days in jail. And we, the court doesn't believe that's a um, probable cause to hold an individual past his release date. So the judge basically ruled that you know, the, the um, ICE container... Um, if honored by a local police agency, could in, could allow uh, that agency to um, be sued by local, you know, local citizens, local groups uh, for violating that guy's um, civil rights. So, you know, all the one by one police departments on the West Coast said, "Whoa, we don't want to get sued." Right. So we right. can't. Absolutely. We can't. We're not going to honor these ICE detainers anymore. If ICE wants to pick them up. Let them do it, but we're not going to accept these detainers. You know, the court court said there's a problem with it, and we're not going to get involved. So around 2013, 2014, it, um, LAPD, um, along with most agencies on the West Coast, came out with a uh, you know police policy that said we don't we're not going to get involved with the ICE detainers. We're not going to uh, honor them. Um, we're not going to. Um, we're not going to hold these guys past their um, their jail time. So, so, okay. so what happened after that, David, was ICE uh, decided to change their policies a little bit. They said, hey, let's send a, a uh, detainer out to the West Coast Police Department that don't say, hey, hold these individuals for an additional two days to let us pick them up. Just let us know when the guy get, is getting ready to get out and give us two hours to pick the guy up. Right. So, so that, to me, actually seemed like a more logical um, uh, thing of just saying, send the detainer out, the, um, the letter alerting us to alert us when an individual is uh, getting released from jail. So then ICE would show up. 
the police department or the county jail would release the uh, criminal alien just like they would anybody else after they're done with their jail time. So ICE would be there. When they're getting released, they get hooked up again. They get rearrested on the federal immigration charges, and then ICE takes them away. To me, it seems like that would be an overall easier way to to handle the situation. You don't have to hold them. You don't have to go look for the criminal alien. You don't have to arrest them. Right. But if you do arrest this guy for um, a local crime charge and he gets booked, when he's getting ready to get released, just give us two hours. Just call us, make a 30-second phone call, and let us know when the guy is going to be getting released, and we'll be there to hook him up. And that's it. Okay. So, Tom, I have two points on that. So one is, if you're, as the way you've explained it, the definition between a sanctuary city and a regular city would be that a sanctuary city is unwilling to place that 30-second phone call two hours before a criminal alien is set to be released. Would that be, in a nutshell, a correct interpretation? That That's correct, David. Oh, okay. uh, what, what Attorney General Jeff Sessions is saying is the definition of a sanctuary city to the Department of Justice is a uh, agency that does not honor Title VIII, 1373 of the United States Code. 1373 says you cannot restrict any way uh, the free flow of information from the police to ICE and ICE to the police. You can't have a policy that that, uh, restricts uh, your officers from contacting ICE at any time. And you've got to accept it. what Sessions is saying, by you not um, uh, refusing to make that 30-second phone call and letting ICE know uh, when the guy is going to get released is a violation of 1373. And that's just, the minimum. That's the minimum you have to do to be considered a, a regular city, a law and order city. Just that 30-second phone call. That's all that Department of Justice is asking for you to do is make that 30-second phone call to give us a heads up when the guy is going to get released. They're not asking you to hook the guy up. They're not asking you to to um, to look for these aliens. They're not asking for any sort of help in in uh, worksite enforcement. All they're asking for is a thirty second phone call to let them let them know when the guy's going to get released from jail. That's it. Okay. That's in a nutshell, David. Between a sanctuary city and a, a regular city in the United States. And Tom, to give some longitudinal perspective to this. Uh, Title Eight, thirteen seventy three was signed into law by Bill Clinton. Was it in ninety six or ninety seven? So this isn't anything new, correct? Correct. All right. Correct. It, it, it's just that there has been um, selective enforcement, and actually, until just recently, very little enforcement in many areas of Title Eight, thirteen seventy three. Yes, it's actually a pretty uh, got an in- interesting uh, history. It was it was signed, uh, like you said, uh, 1996 by President Clinton. Um, the following year, uh, Mayor Giuliani, who back in '97 was you know a uh, big sanctuary city supporter in New York, well, he took um, uh, the Department of Justice to uh, all the way to the Supreme Court on this 1373 section, saying. That the uh, that his city shouldn't uh, have to apply, uh, um, you know, uh, be bound by this. This was commandeering his police department and the Tenth Amendment and all this other uh, nonsense. And the court ruled it was constitutional. Right, it, it was constitutional. But like you said, very, besides the Giuliani case, very little has been done until recently on that section. And to clarify that, that is not going house to house. Uh, you know, knocking on doors and saying, show me your papers that you are here legally. This is specifically dealing with criminal aliens. We're talking people who have committed felonies um, in the United States. You know, people who have uh, attempted murder, who have have stolen vehicles. This isn't somebody um, who is here illegally. Although we have means to obtain citizenship, we are are talking about um, criminal aliens, sometimes aliens which have returned three or four times back onto the streets 
and have committed murder, for example, um, that's what we're talking about right now. Am I correct in that? Correct, correct. These are these are already arrested criminal aliens in jail. Okay, they're not they're not out. LAPD and even at the height of uh, the amount of detainers we obtain, never once do we do immigration checks on traffic stops. Never once do we knock on somebody's door and say, "Hey, then, right. you know, we, we're going to do citizen uh, checks to these people in here." Right. These were already uh, arrested uh, aliens in our um, city jail who were being booked for um, uh, local crime charges. So they were in jail, right, right. and then at the, at, the, at the back end, people that were foreign-born, then we contacted ICE. So our local Los Angeles violation of the penal code came first. That's what he was being booked on, and whatever detainer afterwards was secondary. Our crime charge came first. So the only way that these guys got a, a ICE detainer, the only way they got notified uh, by LAPD or Detective Marchetti um, uh, to ICE was them committing a crime and getting booked for uh, a crime in Los Angeles. And, Tom, this is the rhetoric that I, that I saw when the hashtag Sanctuary City was running a few nights ago on Twitter. Um, you know, people... Uh, fully believing, and as I'm going in discussion threads and articles, easily more than 50% of the people uh, have subscribed to, to the rhetoric, which I believe is coming out of the mainstream media, of local law enforcement are going to uh, have the responsibility to, to go and to be knocking on doors, and if you are not here as a legal citizen that then you are going to be immediately eligible for deportation. And a lot of people are, are just completely frightened. And it's interesting, too. I look at this and I'm saying, well, you know, um, you know first of all, that, that, that's not it. But this is the narrative that's being spun. And, um, I, I want to talk about something. Uh, California two years ago passed something called the Trust Act, which, again, my interpretation of the Trust Act is it prohibits local police officers from contacting ICE for most types of arrests. So basically, if you are a local police officer in California, you're being told, hey, do not contact ICE. And this is Correct. in the last years. Is this accurate, Tom? Correct. Yeah, the, tr the Trust Act came in. Most uh, most crimes other than uh, the, mo the most heinous violent uh, felons, you were prohibited by state law from contacting ICE. So as bad as that sounds, it's getting even worse. Right now, um, they're debating in Sacramento. It's passed this new law that will, will uh, add on to that, making uh, the state of California a total sanctuary state, meaning that if a police officer, if Detective Marchetti arrests a guy for grand theft auto, if he arrests a guy for um, murder, for rape, the, the, the worst of the worst crimes, and he contacts ICE, not only uh, is that prohibited, um, but uh, that officer uh, will be um, filed upon um, uh, criminally. Uh, he's probably going to get sued, and he's going to go to jail. So, you're, so the sanctuary bill being debated in California would not uh, hurt criminal aliens already in jail. It would hurt police officers. Right. California wants to jail police officers that notify ICE on already arrested criminal aliens. And if I, I've looked through that 40-page document, not to the depth that you have, but, um, but the judge who put forward the injunction was making the claim that um, we, California would be denied education funds, highway funds, dam repair funds, and, and so forth. And we know the issue going on with the Orville Dam um, you know, right now in California, needing almost a, a quarter billion dollars of repairs. But that's not the case. This is very categorical where it would limit Homeland Security funds. Um, and and you had mentioned to me um, something very relevant that happened back in the 1980s, which is probably going to be referenced as as this plays out and that was in the 1980s the federal government raised the legal drinking age to 21 some states decided to not increase their drinking age to 21 the fed said okay but 
you will not receive highway funds unless you increase to 21. Now, it didn't impact education funds and in, in, in areas outside of that direct connection to highway funds. And eventually the states, you know, went forward and, and moved their, their drinking age to 21. But what, what the injunction that, that seems to have come out of California a week ago, you know, the judges say, oh, my goodness, we would be cut off on all of these funds. And the reality is, no, it would be selective into the area that you are choosing to not enforce, which would be then receiving your Homeland Security funds. Again, Tom, am I accurate in that statement? Yeah, you're, you're very accurate. What you're talking about, uh, to get in the weeds a little bit, was the executive order that President Trump signed in January saying he was going to cut off funds, federal funds, to sanctuary cities. So um, what happened was uh, actually prior to Trump becoming um, getting sworn in, um, the summer of last year, um, Texas Congressman John Culberson from um, the Appropriations uh, Chairman of the House of Representatives uh, looked into it and said that these um, these law enforcement grants that Department of Justice and Homeland Security are given out to local law enforcement is a requirement that they have to they have to comply with Title VIII, 1373. If they don't comply, they're not entitled to these funds. So um, the congressman brought this up with um, Loretta Lynch, uh, President Obama's Attorney General, and she looked into it and she says, "You're absolutely right. These uh, agencies that they continue to run a sanctuary um, city policies uh, aren't entitled to these funds." So. Last year, um, Obama's uh, DOJ sent out letters, warning letters, that you have a year to comply. Uh, if you don't, we're going to cut off the funds. So fast forward to January, President Trump issues the executive order. Uh, his Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, now is, uh, is following up on the letter that uh, Obama's DOJ sent out. So one of them was for the entire state of California right. saying, if you continue with with your uh, sanctuary policies, you're going to be out of compliance and not entitled uh, to, to grant money, law enforcement grant money, total of $4.3 billion, um, Attorney General Sessions said. Right. The, the city of San Francisco and the city of Santa Clara went to court. They sued um, uh, sued the federal government with that argument of, oh, they're going to they're gonna, um, take out, they're going to cut, federal highway funds, they're going to cut Medicaid funds, they're going to cut out Medicare, they're going to cut out everything if we run a sanctuary city. So the judge said, you know, unless there's prior written authority um, by Congress um, to cut out that stuff, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, but he did, in, in the his review of the decision, did specifically label the, uh, the grant money from DOJ and Homeland Security has been perfectly legal for them to cut it out, cut it out to local cities that they continue to do these sanctuary policies. Right. So, so in, in that's, minute, going, that's going forward. I mean, they're, the president's right. going to appeal this right. other um, this other stuff, um, but those funds are going to be uh, cut come uh, June 30th. And in my state of Wisconsin, uh, Milwaukee received the letter. So, um, yeah. so a, a couple things, Tom. One is is uh, once ICE has somebody detained, ICE has a limit of 600 days, or is it less, that they can hold somebody. Otherwise, they get turned back onto the streets, right? Is Yeah, there's a Supreme Court uh, decision um, that says, and what happens is the problem when, when a country does not want to take their criminal citizens back, there's a whole bunch of uh, countries that don't want to take their... Yeah, own I did some back. research on that. I'll talk about a little bit toward the end here, but yeah. Okay. So um, the Supreme Court said the longest they can hold somebody um, is, is six months. And then at the end of six months, they get released back in the United States. There's a variety of tools available that, again, really aren't being enforced. The Secretary of State has the, the power to stop issuing visas from these countries, for their people coming to the United States, that they don't want to take their, their criminal citizens back home. Um, it's yet to be applied. Um, you know, we'll see if President Trump's uh, Secretary of State 
uh, will uh, use that. I mean, there's been talk to of uh, of cutting um, uh, foreign aid dollars to these uh, right. these countries that refuse to take their citizens back. Um, so, so that's one strategy, and another strategy is saying you can take them back, and we'll give you like twenty thousand dollars. Which may yeah, seem I mean, ridiculous, but actually, if you were to keep that person in jail and the risk they they present to the American populace, it's well worth it to 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 do that. Although it's a precedent that you know you wouldn't want to sustain over time. Yes, and it's been done in the past. I mean, uh, ICE uh, agents have told me that there's certain countries they basically have to give this money to for them to accept one or two individuals back. I, I think the I think the idea of simply cutting off uh, of visas to the United States uh, by these uh, by these countries is the way to go. I mean, if you're in China and you can't come, your your business guys can no longer come to the United States because you refuse to take back your criminals. I think that would be a major disruption of your society. Yeah, it, it, you had indicated that. And I'm going to go over a list of just a few of these 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 countries, um, but um, you mentioned to me that it was the first time in 30 years that Cuba took back a uh, criminal alien just recently, right? Well, that's what uh, <laughs> that's what I they originally took back a, a deportee, and I just assumed it was a criminal alien. Uh, after we talked, I looked into it further. And what the new story was, it was the first, um, the first individual that that um, had entered the United States illegally from um, uh, Cuba. That it was a result of President Obama changing that wet foot, dry foot policy. Right. They basically, instead of them landing in, in Florida, and then now it's King's X, you can't send them back. They are able to process them. Um, get them a quick deportation hearing, and then send them back to Cuba. And they, this was the first time that's happened within 30 years. Um, but, yeah, that's, that is now uh, uh, set in motion that now we have criminal aliens that are, are, are Cuban nationals that are convicted felons that instead of releasing them back on the streets of Los Angeles and, and in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, we can uh, turn them over to ICE and they can be removed back to Cuba. You know, at the same time, Cuba has is holding a um, uh, a member of, um, of the uh, FBI's most wanted list over there. She was a uh, female Black Panther uh, individual in the okay. 1970s, murdered uh, um, a New Jersey uh, a trooper, uh, shot him in the head with his own gun. Oh, goodness. And then uh, she was arrested, she was tried, she was convicted, sentenced to life imprisonment, and she broke out of jail. <laughs> She broke out of prison, and uh, somehow she escaped to Cuba, and she uh, um, um, was accepted by the Castro uh, regime down there. Okay. But she is still a, a wanted fugitive, and and for whatever reason, President Obama never brought this up when he was seeking, you know, a new a new um, diplomatic uh, relationship right. with Cuba. I'm hoping President Trump. We'll, we'll take a hard line, uh, hard line stance saying, hey, if you want better um, um, uh, relations with the United States, you can start off by returning that cop killer uh, individual back over here so we can throw her back in jail. Well, She's living uh, free as a bird in Havana as we speak. Was there something with an El Salvador um, criminal... Um, alien, it, you know, that we had talked about previously who had been released? Yeah, yes, yes. She's, uh, she was the, my first uh, individual um, in 2005 that was uh, hitting the dealerships of uh, 77th Division right. uh, doing identity theft uh, to get herself a new car. She's using somebody else's Social Security number and uh, putting in a, a fraudulent credit application. And okay. she's the one that got the ball started. And, um, okay. So I think the she was the first one. The part here, you know, is is what people don't realize. Um, people, criminal uh, aliens, are being arrested and then released back onto the streets of America, and then arrested and released back on the streets of America. I actually did some research uh, 
and I, I found that uh, more than 2,000 criminal non-citizens, including many here illegally, are released from prison every year onto the streets of American cities. That was as of March 2017. And, you know, we mentioned countries not taking back um, their criminal aliens, and, and there was a list of 20, 23, but the five worst were Cuba, China, Somalia, India, and Ghana. And that's where it really comes into play, as you and I had talked, um, with Rex Tillerson and the Secretary of State using the means of the Secretary of State to put pressure on visas, possible aid to countries, um, and, and other means the Secretary of State would have to force deportation of more of these criminal aliens because otherwise Tom they're coming back on our they're coming back on our streets and I think that's what people that's the conflated terminology right now that in having this discussion I hope we get people to understand this sanctuary city you know that we are a sanctuary city you don't have to worry we're not going to knock at your you know the school door and, and go around and, and and ask children if their parents are here legally or illegally you know we're talking about people who have committed very serious offenses including murder and and then get released back onto the streets or their um, country of origin is saying forget it we're not taking them back and we need to have a strong position on this because that's not just the safety of natural, you know, American citizens. This is the safety of all people in America. And, and I'll go back. I mean, I believe if you're here um, in America illegally, you you do have a means and an obligation to uh, pursue um, citizenship, and, and we need to put an emphasis on that. Um, but again, this whole sanctuary city is. Again, I'm going to bring it back to the point that you brought up in, in the simplest terms. Um, it is making that phone call two hours before a criminal alien is released, making that phone call to ICE saying this person is going to be released and then putting it in ICE's hands. I, I, I want to get then, I'm going to bridge this over to a discussion of, you know, we talk about ICE and it's like, where are these ICE agents? What does it take to be an ICE agent? There is a program called 287G and it's been around for a while and it's a way for state and local law enforcement to also um, have their law enforcement team obtain ICE training it's not necessarily easy, but it can be done, and especially in rural areas, it can be really helpful. If you can help me understand in 287G and my listeners, I'd appreciate that. Yes, 287G um, of uh, the uh, United States Code basically came about in 1996 when Bill Clinton signed that uh, 1373 to outlaw sanctuary cities. He also signed uh, 287G, which allowed um, individual cities and counties, local police departments, local uh, sheriff's departments to uh, go in with the federal government, get cross-trained by the federal government in enforcing immigration law. They would uh, send these uh, individual local cops to a month-long ICE academy, um, and once you successfully pass that academy, you now had dual authority. You could enforce federal laws, and you can enforce, obviously, your own state laws. But it just gives your uh, local department so much uh, more authority to do stuff. If an individual got arrested, you know, I would be on the uh, foreign national got arrested in Los Angeles. I would be on the phone trying to talk to an ICE agent, uh, get him to send a hold and, and um, do an investigation on this individual. If we had a 287G trained officer there, we wouldn't need to call ICE. We would just grab the 287G officer and say, we, we just arrested this guy for Grand Theft Auto. Right. He's a foreign for national from Ecuador. You want to take a look at him? And he would you know, do his investigation, find out when he entered the United States, um, did he come here legally, illegally, and, and all that, and then um, be able to access, completely access ICE's um, database of um, computer files and then make the determination, do I put a, a ICE hold on him? And that 287G officer can write his own detainer right there. So then that individual would go to 
he would go to court, he would go to the county jail, the state prison system, and that hold would follow. And eventually when he, his uh, jail time is up, then somewhere down the line, like you said, uh, the, uh, an individual, law enforcement individual, say this guy's due out today from his jail time, let's call ICE so they can be ready to pick him up when this guy's getting released from jail. So it's an amazing uh, program. Um, here in Texas, um, they, um, the, the Texas uh, Sheriff's Association is really behind 287G. We are getting um, many uh, agencies here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that are signing up for 287G, and I would hope uh, since the Trump administration is trying to sign up as many police departments and sheriff's departments as possible, I hope all uh, agencies across the nation take advantage of this very important tool. The amazing thing is Milwaukee got one of those letters from Attorney General Sessions saying you're running a sanctuary um, city inside the municipality of Milwaukee. The county of Milwaukee is not a sanctuary city, and in fact, their sheriff, Sheriff uh, Clark, right. has just applied for the 287G, saying we're going to go beyond just being doing the minimum by just honoring a detainer and calling you. We want to have 287G authority. We want to be able to write our own detainers. We want to be able to access the ICE computer. So it's <laughs> from a municipality in the same county, you got widely different uh, types of uh, you know enforcement ideas. Kind of like California with the Trust Act, soon to be a total sanctuary uh, state, putting coppers in jail for uh, notifying ICE. Right. So we're here in Texas. Just a couple days ago, the the House, uh, the Texas House, just passed the Sanctuary City Bill where they outlawed once and for all sanctuary cities in Texas, meaning that if you get a detainer, uh, you have to act on it. You have to call ICE. You can't blow it off. You can't take the ICE detainer and say you don't believe in it, throw it in the trash and not notify and just keep releasing criminal aliens, um, you know, back on the street. Tech, the, the new Texas bill, which will be signed sometime next week by Governor Abbott, I mean, there's going to be criminal penalties for the sheriff, or the um, police chief who sets up sanctuary city policies. It opens, they change the tort laws, meaning uh, these sheriffs and chiefs are setting themselves up for civil liability. Individual citizens can now sue them for, uh, for uh, violating not only federal law, but also Texas state law in regards to uh, notifying eyes. So you got two different uh, states going in completely two different directions in terms of uh, criminal aliens. Yeah, that's that's amazing to me, you know, that, that California and, and Texas have, have taken such polar uh, positions with this. Um, yes. So, so actually, um, you know, Tom, the information you've given us today has been, been wonderful. Um, I don't want to get any deeper into this just for the fact that I think this is a lot of information for the audience to digest. Um, I would go back and and just again remind people to, um, to you know to not at first glance or, or, or at the first hearing to to uh, to to subscribe to the rhetoric or or, is that, or or those hashtags get going. You know, I got in there and I'm like, oh my goodness! I mean, it, this is just such a disservice to people, and and nobody um, is going after you know again somebody necessarily. You know who is here um, illegally, who's not committed a crime. Although that's not endorsed, you know there is a process to become, um, you know, obtain U.S. citizenship. You know, which which I would hope uh, there would be an emphasis on that. But what we're really talking about in Sanctuary City goes back again, and I'll I'll kind of close this discussion, and it is making um, that thirty-second phone call to ICE. Within a couple of hours of that detainee being, and that detainee is a criminal alien, so someone that's committed a felony. This is a serious, you know, a, a, a serious um, infraction that this person has committed, um, and it's letting ICE know so then ICE can become involved and then um, work with whatever deportation process is available. Um, 
And just to, to kind of close this out, I, I was very surprised. You know, Tom, I was surprised. I went in, and and to become a scholar on the Patriot Act, I don't even know how you do it because it has 10 sections. There's sections which have sunset it. There's new sections that come in. It looks like everything expires in 2019, but we know things will be reauthorized. And generally, I've been an advocate of the Patriot Act, but the Patriot Act um, clearly, clearly pushes domestic terrorism um, down to the level, which would have to do with this and which would have to do with uh, deportation, down to that individual police officer level. It, it, it only asks, get this, Tom, it only asks that if INS isn't functioning properly, that there be a study conducted on INS. So, yeah, I'd love, love to come back and uh, talk about this success again.